guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were continuing with the plagues that God had, God was striking upon the land of Egypt in order to let the children of Israel go. And in chapter eight, we saw the plague of the frogs, the frogs, which were animals that were considered sacred among the Egyptians. And remember the Egyptians, because of sacred animals, they would not kill these animals. And so God, in an almost comical way, he allowed these frogs to multiply so much that they left the Nile and they went into the houses, the, the bowls of what the people would eat out of, and even upon the bodies of the Egyptians so that the frogs would become a nuisance to the Egyptians. And continuing after the frogs, the Lord allowed the plague of flies, or should we say as it is in the Hebrew, swarm of swarms, which was basically a swarm of all types of insects. And these insects went all throughout the land of Egypt. And it is here that we begin to see God himself announce that he will make a division upon between the Goshen, the land of Goshen, the place where the Israelites themselves were residing and the rest or the remainder of Egypt. And so this was all done so that the Pharaoh would have proof without shadow of a doubt that it is Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, who was causing all of these events to happen, all of these supernatural events to happen, proving that Yahweh, the Lord, is more powerful than the gods of Egypt. And also, too, we began to notice at these particular plagues in which there were time sets. And we would see that Pharaoh would say, Moses would say, but when do you want this to be relieved of the frogs? And the Pharaoh would say, tomorrow. And then tomorrow the Lord would act. And this again was to be proven to the Pharaoh as well as to all of the Egyptians that these things were not incidental in time or related to one event happening because of another. Okay. In other words, like say for instance, the Nile turning into blood, frogs leaving the Nile, and then the frogs not only leaving the Nile, but going into the houses. These things were not incidental in happening in that when the frogs would move, they would not just gradually leave, but God would cause all of the frogs that were in the Egyptian places to supernaturally die and then create all of these heaps of frogs and things of that nature. So we would see times that are now being set for particular events or plagues that is happening to the Egyptians to prove that this is the hand of God. The power of the events, in other words, the events themselves would just be uh, uh, not just simply supernatural, but uh, exaggerated, it would just be so great in its intensity. And that's, again, another thing that we would see as these plagues are coming upon Egypt. There is a growing intensity to the Egyptians. There is a growing amount of destruction that is coming forth from the hand of God in each of these plagues. So the point is, and all of that is, it is proof positive that it is the God of the Hebrews who is causing these things to start, to stop, to prove to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians that their God, that is the God of the Hebrews, indeed is truly the only God, okay? Now, with all of that, let's just go in, into chapter nine as we continue the plagues upon the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. So the Lord set a definite time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of the of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent and behold, 
there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. As we begin to deal with this particular plague, we find out that this is against the livestock that is of Egypt, of the Egyptians. And notice once again, there is a distinction made between the livestock that is of the land of Goshen, that is the Hebrews livestock and the livestock of the Egyptian. Once again, this is simply proving that God's in his own sovereign power that to the Egyptians, to the Pharaoh, that God is a sovereign God of control. He can control where these particular uh, devastations take place. And this devastation would be upon the cattle and the livestock of the Egyptians alone. And once this particular pestilence happened, and, and we don't know exactly what this particular pestilence, or uh, sometimes it is translated as a moraine or some type of boil or plague that is happening upon the land, upon these particular animals. But nevertheless, whatever it is, it is only happening to those ones that are in the field, regardless to what they are, whether it's a, the sheep, the goat, the horses or whatever as it's talked about. It is happening to those that are in the field. So we can see there is a measure of mercy that God has given, that he is not striking all of the livestock of the Egyptians, but he is just striking some of them, those that are in the field. And that distinction that is made between the Israelites and the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that the Lord alone is God. And then notice once again, that timetable is set. And this time it is God who says to Moses to tell Pharaoh what that time will be. Tomorrow, this will begin to happen. So if the Pharaoh would see that this thing happened on tomorrow, according to the set time, again, the point that we are driving home, that God is driving home, this is not incidental. This is by the direct, direct hand of God himself. So of course, what happens on the very next day, the cattle of the Egyptians that were in the field died. And when it died, uh, Pharaoh began to do an investigation. So he sent someone to the land of Goshen to where the Israelites dwell to see if any of the Israelites cattle had died. And they came back and brought the report back to Pharaoh that not a single one of them had died. And therefore this again is proof. And that's the whole point. God is evidencing himself through what he says, his word, and through what he does, how God validates. He follows up on his word. He is evidencing all of this to the Pharaohs, simply to say, as well as the Egyptians, that God alone is God. So none of the Hebrews cattle had died. And so, but nevertheless, in this thing, in this great thing that God had done, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, again, here, it does not say whether or not God hardens Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. It just simply lets us know the state of Pharaoh's heart and that it was hardened. And once again, he refused to let the people go. So this particular plague that God had brought and notice now, once again, I want to bring it back to your attention. As we work through these plagues, the devastation that is happening to Egypt nationwide. So can you imagine all of the animals, how many of them that were in the field that had died? So there was a great number of animals that had died and how this is affecting. And this is what you have to remember, guys, how this is affecting the overall economy of the Egyptians. Why? Because what you're going to see and even will come from the mouth of Pharaoh's servants is all of Egypt will be destroyed by God. And Egypt, remember, the most educated nation at the time, the most powerful nation at the time, military-wise concerning. Egypt, the most powerful nation in a matter of months will be destroyed, which is true again, proof positive only a God, and that is the true God, 
could do this. And that's the whole point of all of these things. Okay, so now let's move on to the next plague. Verse number eight. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves a handful, handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took the suit from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils were on magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Okay, now we're finishing. I believe this is the sixth plague, the plague of the boils. And so now the Lord speaks both to Moses and Aaron and tells him to take this suit from a kill. Now, basically what he is saying is this. Remember, when the, 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 the job of the Hebrew slaves was to, to, to make bricks for the Pharaoh, okay? In the making of the bricks, they would take the mud and things of that nature, and in order to solidify the bricks, they would burn the bricks. And so in this particular thing that, that they used to make the bricks, burn the bricks to make them into solid bricks, take the mud and the, and the mixture of straw and burn it, and in the cooking and burning of it, they would make it would turn into a brick. Okay, so this is how they made the bricks. So from this device that they used, the slaves used to burn and create the bricks. In the burning of it, you would take wood and things of that nature to create fuel for the fire. And this would be the suit that he was taking. So take this suit, the the, the leftover from the burning of the bricks that the slaves used to make the bricks. Take that from the kill, this device that they use to make the bricks. So take that uh, leftover ash from the making of the bricks that the slaves used. So this was kind of interesting in itself that from the things used of the slaves, produced by the slaves, take this before Pharaoh and take this ash and again, tell Pharaoh to let the people go and, and or otherwise the Lord is going to strike the Egyptians with boils. And so here is the demonstration from that suit, take it and throw it into the air. And as he threw that suit into the air, it, imagine the multiplication of it all throughout the land of Egypt as from a small cloud in that local where Moses threw it cloud growing into greater clouds, growing into greater clouds that filled all of the land of Egypt. And as it that touched the skin of the Egyptians, notice what it said. It became a boil upon them. And now what you have to understand is it, this is not just simply uh, imagine, you, you know how you get burns that, that come up on the skin and then it, it create blisters on the skins. So imagine it that way, a burn that comes on the skin that creates a blister and then the blister begins to seep. So what you got basically is seeping boils that come all over the body of the Egyptians. So now imagine how both painful and miserable that that became. And remember, each time that Moses and Aaron would go, or Moses and Aaron, have it worked, would go before the Pharaoh, his magicians would be there. A lot of times, the whole idea, beholding the miracle as well as they were also the counselors of the Pharaoh. So that they function in both of those two events, beholding the miracles of Moses. And, and remember, they, came, they had already gotten to the point where they could no longer duplicate through the power of Satan. They could no longer duplicate the miracles of Moses, the miracles of God. And so now they were basically beholding these miracles and acting as always the counselors of the Pharaoh. So while they are just standing there with the Pharaoh, looking at these things beginning to happen, the boys also become begin to come upon these magicians, the sorcerers. And remember, these are the priests 
of Egypt. They are the ones who lead uh, 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 and are involved with both the Pharaoh as well as all of the other Egyptians in all of their idolatrous practices. So as these balls began to come upon the people, they also, I'm sorry, upon the people, they also come upon the priests as well. And once again, remember how the priests had this obsession with cleanliness. So it really struck to the heart of the priest. And even so, what is it? How bad is it that the priest could no longer stand before the Pharaoh? So whatever took place in this particular miracle, it was not something that happened in time. It was immediate and spontaneous in so much that they had to leave the presence of the Pharaoh the boils as well as their uncleanliness. But nevertheless, what was the end result? The heart of the Pharaoh was hardened. Okay. Uh, and I want to take a, a look at that once again. And once it, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, verse number 12. So here in this particular plague, what we see is not just simply Pharaoh's heart was hardened as we saw in the previous plague of the flocks, but here, God himself hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Okay, now, let me go back because I forgot to do a coverage of these things. When we saw the, the plague that struck the cattle, this was, we need to talk about the gods of the Egyptian. So, when the plague struck the, the pestilence against the cattle, this was against the god Hathor, which was a feminine deity. She was a feminine goddess. And Hathor was, uh, she had the, the head of a, a cow, the head of a cow and the body of a woman. So this was against Hathor as well as Apis. And Apis was basically the male counterpart. Uh, and he, he was a bull god, the body of a man and the head of a bull. And so, and these were the symbols of fertility as well. And now when we get to the boils, the boils was, a, was an attack against the God. This was God's attack against Sekhmet. And Sekhmet was the goddess of power over disease. So it was an attack against Sekhmet as well as Sunu. And Sunu was the god of pestilence. And it also was an attack against Isis, the god of healing. So... The, the boils on the body of the Egyptians was an attack against Sekhmet. Uh, he was a, Sekhmet was the goddess. He was the power, power and God of disease. Sunu, God of pestilence, as well as Isis, God of healing. And so what we find is what God is simply saying is he is the God stronger than Sekhmet. The God Sekhmet could not relieve you from the diseases. Sunu could not stop from this pestilence that God was sending upon the Egyptians and Isis could not heal you of the boils. So you can imagine all the Egyptian priests and priestesses, their sorcerer appealing to these gods for deliverance from the pestilence of the boil and there was no deliverance because the God of the Hebrews alone is God. Okay. All right. So now where did I stop with this boil even? So we need to always deal with the issue of how God is not only just sending these plagues, but how these plagues are a strike against the gods of the Egyptians. Okay. So now where did I stop? Uh, verse number 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early. So now, before we even get into that, okay, as we ended the sixth plague, remember once again, we want to bring your attention what God is doing. Uh, there are three uh, classes or groups, should I say, of plagues, okay? And we, in the first group, we saw basically the blood. And then the second group, we saw basically beginning with the, sw the swarm. And now we're beginning with the third group. And in and each class or group, we see 
intensification, okay? But we're going to see something in that that is unique that begins to happen. And I'll talk about it once I get there. And what I mean by uniqueness, and it's kind of in a sense like a point of no return. But now this time, I'm not gonna be premature, but I'm gonna wait till we get there, and then I'll explain to you what I actually mean. Verse number 13, now let's go again. And we always know that each group begins in rise up in the morning. That's the indication of the next group, group of threes, as far as the plagues. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is no one in no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Okay, now let's just stop there and deal with the intro as God is sending Moses once again early in the morning to Pharaoh to let his people go. But this is basically intro of the plague. But let's just kind of talk about that intro because God is now going to reveal to Pharaoh himself his purpose in doing all of these things. But nevertheless, so he goes unto Pharaoh in the morning, tell him again, let his people go. And so he says, because now you're going to, if you do not let the people go, Pharaoh, you will receive even greater devastation of plagues upon your people. So that's a part of the warning that he's giving him. That's what he means in verse number 14, that if this time my plagues will come upon you and your servants so that you will know that there is no other God in the world besides me. And that's what he's saying when he said, you will know that there is no one in all the earth like me. All of your gods and notice all of these different gods that I have been mentioning here to the which all of these plagues have been against to show the impotence of those gods and because and the impotence simply means they are impotent or should I say powerless simply because they are no gods. And that's what God is saying. There is no other God in all the earth besides me. And God has been working these miraculous plagues upon Pharaoh that he and his people may come to this knowledge. And then there is the, the knowledge that God gives unto Pharaoh in verse number 15 when he says, if I wanted to, I could have struck the land of Egypt and destroyed everybody. And so that's what God is saying. Not only that he is God, but that he is God almighty. And he had the power not only to destroy the come against the gods of Egypt, but destroy Egypt in totality. But nevertheless, and he, so that's one purposeful thing. He says to Pharaoh, I have allowed you to stand, that is to remain. And this is what Paul was talking about in Romans nine. I believe that's verse 17 when God was telling us why, how God does what he wishes to do and God uses whom he wishes to use, even how God saves whom he desires to save. But nevertheless, going down and see that video that I made concerning a supplemental teaching of Exodus chapter four, I believe it's what, verse 17 or something of that nature, 17 or 21, but see that supplemental teaching that I made concerning that particular issue. But the whole point is, when he was saying to Pharaoh, verse number 16, I have allowed you to remain so that I can demonstrate my power unto all the earth. He is using Pharaoh even in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart so that God is going to demonstrate through power and great wonder to the whole world that he alone is God. So that by these miraculous events, 
plagues that destroys the most powerful nation upon the earth. It will become a testimony. This word of what God will do to Egypt will travel throughout all the earth. And by these things, let the whole world know that Yahweh, you see the whole world who is involved in their pagan idolatrous practices and worship of other gods. Let this testimony to Egypt come to the whole world that the God of the Hebrews is the only true God. Okay. And anyway, and so he stays in the Pharaoh concerning the arrogance of Pharaoh's heart and the stubbornness of his heart. But nevertheless, even though God has stricken the Egyptians with so many plagues, six thus far, nevertheless, what Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Okay. So now let's continue on as we move into the seventh plague. Behold, verse number 18, this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hell comes down on them will die. The one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Okay. So let me just simply stop there. Here we have the introduction of the seventh plague and it is a plague of hell. And what the Lord says to Moses to speak to Pharaoh is that, and here's the thing, hell was, had been seen before it has happened before. But what God is saying here, the exaggeration of this event, the hell that will strike Egypt is a hell that has never been seen before. And this hell will not only simply be destructive as hell is destructive, but this hell will be a hell that kills it will kill everything that is left in the field as well as certain plants that are in the field. Notice every man and beast that is in the field at this particular time when the hell begins to fall will die. And so also too, I want to say there is verse number 19 mercy extended from God, even from Moses, God gives Pharaoh mercy. What do you mean? He tells Pharaoh, I'm going so before he sends the hell, I'm going to send it. It's going to be a devastating hell that will kill. This is what I advise you to do. Whatever you got in the field, if you don't want it to die, get it out the field. So now that's mercy that comes from God because he didn't have to tell him nothing. He just could have sent the hell and just started killing, but mercy comes. And so we see two groups here. Those are that first group is the group who fears. And that is they believe Moses. They have seen enough by this time. They say when Moses says something, you can just about guarantee it's going to happen. And so what do they do? They act in response. They go and get their people and their livestock out of the field. But nevertheless, as always is the case, some still do not believe. And so what do they do? They leave their livestock and their, the people, the keepers of their livestock. They leave all of that still in the field. And you can see the, uh, the, how adamant that they are and resistant that they are against the word of Moses, which is literally the word of God. They just leave it out there. I don't believe none of that. And so what happened? Just like Moses said, Everything that was left died in the field. Okay. So this is basically um, the intro to what, what Moses is saying, what will happen concerning the hell because, because of the devastation. And remember, as I told you, as these particular events happen, it intensification, it gets worse and the devastation is worse. And also remember how it happens on a national scale. Egypt as an economy is absolutely being destroyed. Okay. So now let's get into the actual happenings of this event of the hell falling. Verse number 22. Now the Lord said to Moses, 
Stretch out your hand toward the sky that hell may fall on all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, on, on beast and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hell and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. So there was hell and fire and flashing continually in the midst of the hell, very severe, such as had not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. So now the end result. So now the Lord says to Moses, so what? He stretched out his hand toward the sky and Moses has the staff, uh, uh, his staff in his hand. And when he did that, this is, this is basically Moses commanding the skies to release the hell. And once he does that, the hell immediately begins to fall. And now what you have to remember is the hell is reserved for the field. Okay. The hell is reserved for the field, which is a magnificent thing within itself that the hell God's sovereign hand of control where not only the severity of the hell, but exactly where the hell would fall on the fields, the fields alone. And so therefore everything that was in the field immediately die. And then we see the description of the hell, how the hell was severely grievous and the thunder that was boom and the rain. So it was raining, it was hell, it was thundering. And then it said there was a fire that was mixed with that. I, I, I don't, I can't imagine what that's like because as we see the hell and things of that nature coming down from the sky, it's usually the hell cold because that's what it takes to make hell. The cold, the ice somehow. And, but so where's the fire coming from? The whole point is this is just supernatural within itself for rain, which is wet, hell, which is cold, makes the ice fire. So <laughs> I'll leave it there. Indeed, this is, as the magician said earlier, the finger of God. But nevertheless, so all of these things began to happen. Everything in the field died and the hell in its severity, which probably lets us know the size of the hell, which was why it killed. This was probably large hell shattered every tree. So imagine every tree bent, all of the limbs broken and trees torn down. It was absolutely devastating. Again, what is the point? How God devastated the economy of the e Egypt is destroyed. Okay. But anyway, once again, what happened in the land of Goshen? God is again, this, this is simply showing what control, sovereign control in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews resided, no hell whatsoever. <laughs> All right. So let's continue. Verse number 27. Pharaoh is now afraid and this has got his attention like none other. Remember intensification. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and he said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is right is the righteous one and I and my people are the wicked ones. Take notice of that. He knew he knew make supplication to the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hell, and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be hell no longer that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. 
But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Now, the flax and the barley were ruined, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not were not ruined, for they were for they ripened late. So then let's talk about that. So as the hail and you imagine this is continually happening. And remember the thunder flashing, the waters, the large hails, things are being ruined. And Pharaoh and people dead in the field. And Pharaoh, can you imagine him looking out? And he said, oh, he said, this is about to tear. And not so much as this, but watch this. The Lord, the God of Moat, he is tearing this place apart. So, and remember, this is happening in the fields. That's why Pharaoh's servants are able to go to Moses and, and go get Moses, and Moses is able to come to Pharaoh, and they themselves not be killed by the hail, because the hail is not happening everywhere in Egypt, but it's only happening in the fields in all of Egypt, okay? So what does he do? He sends for Moses and Aaron, and you can see him begging, please, please stop it, please stop it, and notice what he is forced to confess. And this is what he knows. I have sinned against the Lord, and it is the Lord, your God indeed is righteous, and it is both me and my people have sinned. He confesses the sin of Egypt. I don't wanna get, a great deal into this, but allow me to make a statement about it and a, a principal statement of what it says. First of all, through the signs and wonders that Moses, God has shown, God has used Moses to show the Pharaoh as well as the Egyptians. This is proof that only God is God. And even in all of this, the Pharaoh as well as his people have resisted God. So therefore in the evidence that God has provided to the Egyptians, they know he is God and still they resist and reject him as God. They continue in their worship of idols. They continue in their reject. I don't care what he does. So that's the point. So therefore Pharaoh is forced to acknowledge his sin and the sin of his people because God has proven himself to be God. Enough has been seen with all of that. Now I want to talk about Romans chapters what, one and two, and I don't want to get into a lot of it, but just, I'll just let me make the point. So God has also done whether it has been in judgments in the wrath of God, the wrath of God that has been poured out upon rebellious mankind. So whether in wrath or whether in nature, when we look at the world, when we look at the intricacies of this creation, the intricacies of plant life, animal life, life in the ocean, how diverse it is, how wonderful it is. When we look at the stars in the sky, when we look at the greatness of the expanse of the heavens and the moons and all of the, the galaxies and, and see as man, uh, uh, continues to grow in knowledge. And as he grows in knowledge, he is able to use the knowledge in his own investigative powers. As he looks at the atoms and the elements and plants, as he can look microscopically at all of the things of the world, all these things testify of themselves. They could not have been done of no other reason that there truly must be a God. There is a God, the world itself, the existence of the universe, the beauty of mankind, his own body, how it is so wonderfully, intricately made. All of these things testify there must be a God. And that's a principle that God has drawn out here in Egypt in judgment. He draws it out in the judgments that has come upon the human race through the bubonic plague and all of the stuff that comes upon us. Even to this day, they testify. Indeed, there is a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God of the Christians.
the ones that we have been constantly testifying to mankind. But guess what? It's not that man does not know there is, no, is a, he knows there's a God. He knows that he just simply rejects it. And that's the point that is happening with the Egyptians. That's the point that happens to the human race. I don't care what person who says, I don't believe in God or a person who says there's not enough evidence that there is a God. You are lie. There is a propundence of evidence or to the person who says I'm an agnostic. I don't know whether there not is a God. And that's the whole point of evidence. You're a liar. You know, in your mind and in your heart of hearts. And that's what Romans teaches, you know, in your mind and in your heart of hearts, because God has revealed it himself whether through wrath, signs of wonders, or through the beauty and intricacy of the universe, you know that there is a God. You just simply reject him. And that's the point. Okay, enough preaching. But that's a principal point that is being laid right here. Mankind, all of mankind knows that there is a true God, a God above and beyond who is responsible for this creation. All of us know it. All of us, not just Christians, all. Okay, all right, enough of that. But let's go back to the devastation. So as he talked about the devastation, and that's what we talk about here. He says, but even though, here's what Moses says, verse number 30. In all of these judgments that God has brought upon you, I still know that your heart, and it, isn't that amazing about the human heart? It is amazing. He says, I still know that both you and your servants still don't fear the Lord. I know I've preached enough, but I got to keep talking right here. No matter what devastation God has brought upon the Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians, still don't fear God. They still have no reverence for God. They still will not accept him. They won't. It teaches us. Here's a principle about the human heart. That's why the Bible says that the heart is corrupt above all things to the point that no man can know it. And that's why God himself follows up immediately. And I think this comes from the prophet Jeremiah and says about the heart being corrupted, that who can know it? And God follows up and says, I, the Lord, try the heart. In other words, I know man's heart. I know the corruption and wickedness of man's heart, how it is completely and totally corrupt, total depravity. But now let me come to this point. And all that God is doing, here's a principle again that I want to drive. And this is where we get principles from. We, we look at events that take place in the Bible and we try to learn from these events. What is God saying? What is the point God is making? What can we learn and derive from these events? And what can it teach us about God, about ourselves, about how God works? What is a principle here? And here's the principle. If God does not work to soften the heart, man's heart won't be softened. Salvation is a work of God and God alone. God must soften our hearts. Why? We are so dead in sin that we do not respond even to the work of God, a miraculous work of God. And so he would have Pharaoh, no matter what God is doing to him, and to his servants, to his people, they are yet unwilling to respond. Okay, but now let's go on, hardness of heart. But he continues to talk about the devastation and destruction. Again, speaking of the destruction of Egypt and Egypt's economy, how that it was the barley and the flax were ruined. And all he's simply saying is this, because it was the time for the harvest of the barley and the flax, they were ready to be harvested. So since they were at that particular time to be harvested, when the hail fell, boom, they were dead. They were gone. So therefore, again, what do you see again? Devastation. Food has been destroyed. So now here's the thing. What the people are going to eat with respect to the barley and the flax. So the people, so now, it, see, so you see the devastation? 
So the food now is being affected, not just simply localized on a national scale. And the only reason why the wheat and the rest of it is because it had not grown up. It, it had not grown up into the vine and it was not time for the harvest yet. It was basically still in the ground. So it was not time. So it was not destroyed. But what you see again is the devastation agriculturally on the whole nation of Egypt. All right. Now let's close out chapter nine. So Moses went out from the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his servants, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the sons of Israel go just as the Lord has spoken through Moses. Once again, referring back to what God had initially said to Moses, how Pharaoh would not let the people go. But what happened? Okay. So he begs and pleads Moses. Okay, I'll let him go. I'll let the people go. Just turn off this devastation of the hill. Moses said, okay, fine. So he leaves the city, lifts his hands up towards the sky. Immediately, the hail, the thunder, the lightning, the rain, the fire that was mixed with the hail. And you can imagine the sound of all of this, how it was devastating too as the hail fell. And all of a sudden, it's gone. Just like that. And can you imagine? And the sky clears. And nothing happens. Nothing, And it's as if nothing happened until you look at the ground and the trees and you see the trees broken up. <clears throat> And all of the plant life basically on the ground devastated. But you look at the sky and it's perfectly clear. You know that this was the power of God. But what was the response of the Pharaoh? And here is what you need to understand here. And I know I've preached long enough. Give me a little more time and watch this now. And instead of this having a positive result on the mind of Pharaoh, he said, okay. Remember, because he was saying, this is destroying the whole place. Go get them real fast. Instead of him saying, okay, I've learned my lesson. Let's let them go. His heart not being hardened. Notice it is notice now he hardened his own heart. Okay. The reason why I'm taking time for you guys to see this is this is not God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is hardening his own heart here. It takes us back to verse number 30. Remember when Moses just said to him, I know you and your servants still do not fear God. Here is the proof of it. No matter what God was doing to him, Pharaoh was saying, I don't care. I'm not changing my mind. And so therefore we see him here, the proof of it, hardening his heart and refusing to let the Hebrew people go. What is so important about this one is this. This is the final step right here. I believe it's uh, number seven in the plague. When the judicial hardening is this, so I'm slowing it down. Pharaoh, you have hardened your heart for the last time. God has shown you. God has spoken to you again and again and again. You have proof positive by the events that have taken place, the exaggeration that has taken place. Remember what he said about the hell like has never been before. The supernatural things that have taken place, the time by this time tomorrow, this time will happen. This you know that this is God and still in all of God's spanking on your rump. You harden your heart. This last plague becomes significant. Why? Because when Pharaoh hardened his heart this time, he will not have an opportunity the next times not to harden his heart. Because as we move into chapter 10 and we talk about plagues eight and nine, what we're going to find out is God himself will begin to harden the heart of Pharaoh. 
and it will no longer be Pharaoh's harden of his heart. God will judicially, and that's what I mean by judicial, judicial hardening, just in case you haven't seen the previous videos, is after God has dealt with a person or a people or whatever in events, and these people or events or whatever, Pharaoh and his people, refuse to listen and they continue to reject God and harden their heart. God is now justified to say, since you have hardened your heart, since you will not listen to me, regardless to what I say or regardless to what I do, since you won't, I now reserve the right. You want to be hardened against me? I will harden your heart so that you won't listen to me. And I don't want you to listen to me so that I can further kick your tail into the ground. And that's what's going to happen. In plagues eight and nine, we'll see God hardening Pharaoh's hearts. It's no longer Pharaoh hardening his heart. God will, God will harden his heart so that he can continue to bring the plagues upon Egypt to bring Egypt to his knees and totally destroy all of the nation, resulting in the 10th and final plague of Egypt, which will be death, death to all of Egypt, death to the firstborn of Egypt. And I don't want to get into that prematurely, but this final plague of hell, where Pharaoh hardened his heart, results in the sealing S-E-A-L-I-N-G, sealing of his heart so he cannot change his mind and let the people go. All right. I know I did a lot of preaching on that, but anyway, thanks for your patience in that. And thanks for joining me in chapter nine in the continuing plagues of Egypt, the intensification of destruction on the land. Join me in chapter 10 as we, we pretty much, we're gonna bring to an end this third class, third category of plagues that come upon Egypt. And once this third class is finished, indeed the Egyptians, Pharaoh will drive them out. Okay, see you next time.